Well, we are in our final week of our series, The Promise. I hope it's been a good series for you. I hope it's been helpful. Um, if you're visiting with us today, you're coming in at the end of the movie. But that's okay because today's message will stand alone. But if you would like to catch up and catch the other three uh, episodes of this, uh, you can do that on our website, newlifecanton.com, or the app, New Life Canton. Uh, but for those of us who've been on this journey now, this is the fourth week. Today is the payoff. Today is the payoff. No more waiting, no more wondering. Today the promise is fulfilled. Abraham and Sarah, after waiting 25 years, Isaac is born. They receive their promise. It's fulfilled. But they would quickly learn. You know, sometimes when something like that happens, we think it's happily ever after, right? You know, that's, the, that's, that's probably what they thought. We know the story. That's not what happens. They would quickly Learn that the story did not end there. The greatest, the hardest, the most difficult test was still to come. When God fulfills a specific promise in your life, I'm not talking about just the general promises in the word, but something that he put in your heart, something that he confirmed, and then something that he fulfills. When he does that, it means that he now trusts you to carry that promise and to use it for his glory, not for yourself, but for his kingdom. When God gives us something, he expects us, listen, to dedicate it back to him. That's why we have baby dedications. That's why we dedicate buildings and churches and property and buildings and those things It's because we know that they, or I hope we know that they ultimately, all of it belongs to him. But here's the deal. Look at the screen. There must be an outward sign of an inward dedication. There must be an outward sign of an inward dedication. I can't just dedicate my time and never do anything for the Lord. I can't just say that I dedicate my talent to God and never actually use it for his glory. Let me go one step further. I can't just say that I dedicate my resources and my money and never tithe and never give. Oh, that would be a bunch of hot air. That would be hypocritical. There must be an outward manifestation of an inward dedication. See, when we hold too tightly to any good gift from God, our, our home, our, our, our jobs, our money, our calling, even our kids, even our children, you can rest assured that a test is coming because God loves you too much. He loves me too much to leave us there. A test is coming to get our head right, to get our heart right and back on track again. This is what we need to understand. Next point, the gift should never replace the giver. The gift should never replace the giver. As soon as we begin to put the gift of God ahead of God, it becomes an idol. It becomes an idol. The promise then becomes a problem. The promise becomes a the problem. Now, I've shared this before, but it's the only testimony I have, so you just have to live with it. And a lot of you are new, so this will be new to you, but 
My motivational gift that God has given me, my top gift that he's given me is administration, leadership, organizing things, making things happen. That early in my ministry, over 20 years ago, when I started out, you know, the salary was very, very low. And Kathy was in social work, so her salary was very low. But instead of trusting God with what he put in our hand, which he could have multiplied, amen? I got distracted, and I felt like I had to manufacture some things. And I literally did that. I started building houses. I started flipping houses. I started doing construction on the side while still being in full-time ministry. But I became distracted. I used the good gift of administration that God had given me outside of its purpose in my life, outside of my calling. I talked about it last week. I kicked some doors down that God had shut. And what I found, what I reaped, was chaos in my schedule and eventually major problems in my finances. Why? Because God wasn't going to bless that. The money and the business and all of that thing, all of those things became an idol to me. I would never have admitted it then, but looking back at it now, that's exactly what it was. But soon it was all stripped away. Folks, there are always consequences to holding on too tightly or misusing the good gifts that God gives us. When something becomes, it's a gift that God gives, not a God. And those decisions to buy and sell and flip and move and, and build and all of those things, it didn't just affect, that distraction didn't just affect me. It affected my wife and my girls. They counted it up the other day, and I'm embarrassed by this. We have moved 20 times in 22 years of marriage. That's absurd. Now, I wasn't in 20 different churches. Don't, 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 don't panic. That'd be bad, wouldn't it? That'd be even worse. In the same community, we moved across the street one time because I could make a buck. I would build the house of our dreams and then put us, uh, we'd get all done and Kathy would be hanging pictures and, and, and it would be, and I would put a for sale sign in the yard. I'd say, cha-ching, cha-ching. And we, we, we chuckle and laugh, but it was, it was wrong. It was, it was an idol. It was a mistake. And the only guard, let me back up and, and just say this. Listen, our greed, our selfishness, our sin, our distraction doesn't just affect us. It affects those we love. We cannot allow the promise to replace the provider We cannot allow something good to become a God. The only way to guard against that, everybody listening today, this is important. The only way to guard against this happening in your life and in my life again is to, when we get something from God, when he fulfills a promise or he gives us a good gift, is to immediately dedicate it back to him and give him the glory and the honor for it in Jesus' name. And that is what Today's message is all about. Father, thank you for your word. 
Thank you for preserving your word. This story, 4,000 years, for us to learn from today. Father, I pray that I would decrease so that you could increase and that you would speak through me exactly what you'd have me to say and let us receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're now in Genesis chapter 18. And don't look at this, just, just wait, let me set this up just a second. There's been several more years to pass since we talked last week in Genesis 16. A lot that I could have preached. This thing could have been really, this series could have been seven or eight weeks long. There's so much there. So a lot more adventures have taken place. A lot more has happened. Abraham, Abram is now Abraham. Sarai is now Sarah. And so these three angels visit Abraham. And one of them is the angel of the Lord. Now, this is just my theory. I think it was Jesus in the Old Testament because he's speaking as God. Anyway, that's just for whatever. But this is an important angel, the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord tells Abraham, this time next year, Sarah will have a son. And so we pick up in Genesis 18, 11. Abraham and Sarah were already very old. Folks, look at me. They were old 25 years ago. This thing started 25 years ago when Abraham was 75. Started when he was 75. He's almost 100 now. They were old 25 years ago. And Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself and thought, after I'm worn out, and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Sarah was like, really? Come on, be honest. Have you been there? Really, Lord? Now? You want me to have a kid now when I'm 90? And she laughed. She chuckled to herself, and she's thinking, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Folks, I'm a pastor. I'm the pastor. I'm the senior pastor. I should have the most audacious, huge, monstrous faith in the room, right? Isn't that the way it works? Don't nod your head, Tim. That doesn't help me a bit. (laughs) Folks, I'm just like you. I have those struggles and those doubts. I'm I'm a detail-oriented, facts-oriented, task-oriented person. It's how I'm wired. It's what makes me a good administrator, actually. But I have to pray daily. And I have to pray hard to have any kind of supernatural faith. It doesn't come naturally to me. That's a gift for some, for some people. Supernatural faith is a gift. It doesn't come naturally to me. I like things to line up. Anybody else? Some of you were just like, oh, I'll just float along and just let the Lord have his way. I wish I could be that way. I, I, I like things to, to, to make sense and for it all to come together and for the dots to all be connected. But do you know what I found out in 35 years of knowing Jesus? They rarely do. They rarely do. Why? Because if everything always made sense and if everything logically always lined up, why would I need God? Why would I need to lean on him? I think probably the most dangerous thing that could happen to us is for everything to always go smoothly and right with us. We would get all big shot. We would run away from God instead of to him. It's only when we are tested that we discover our weaknesses and our blind spots in those areas that we need to grow. It's only in the fire 
that we are refined for his glory. In the New Testament, James, the brother of Jesus, in 1.12 says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test. Everybody say test. That's our word. Having stood the test, that, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised. This whole series is about the promise to those who love him. It isn't fun. It isn't pleasant. We certainly would never ask for a test to come into our life, but they are absolutely necessary for us to reach our full potential in Jesus Christ. I know you don't want to clap for that, so don't worry about it. It's like, well... And listen, let me just say this. If, whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian in the room, if you don't want to reach your full potential in this life, you're probably in the wrong church. Because that's all I preach. This church is about the vision is connecting you and your children to their God-given purpose, reaching that potential. So you're not going to enjoy my preaching if you don't want to reach your potential. Verse 13, the original text. Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, well, I really have a child now that I'm old? I love this. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Will you read that out loud with me? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Hey, I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah will be holding the promise of God in her hands. Now, this is a Bible story. Black words on white paper. This is 4,000 years removed. So sometimes it's hard to, to put our, us in this. But let me, let me just bring it home to us. Is anything too hard for the Lord in your life? Is anything too hard for the Lord in your life? I, I wonder, are there... Are you trusting God for some things? And then maybe subconsciously you're moving some other things over into a category that you are labeling too hard. Yes, you do. And so do I. We might not speak it out loud. We might not admit it. But we all, to a certain degree, different levels, we all live with a lack of faith. Sometimes. Don't get holy on me now. Let's get real. Look at the screen. We are not experiencing the supernatural because we are not believing for the supernatural. We are settling for the natural. We're not experiencing the miracles of God because we're not believing for the miracles of God. Sarah had a, was supposed to have a baby at 90. That is not natural. All the ladies said amen. amen. <laughs> it was going to take a miracle. And she laughed. <laughs> what if, what if we believed God for the impossible? For our family, for our marriage, for our children, for our finances? What if we actually walked by faith and not by sight? 
Lately, I've been praying the prayer of the dad, the father figure in Mark chapter 9, when he cries out to Jesus, Lord, I believe. Oh, I believe in you. How many believe in Jesus? Come on. I believe in you, Jesus, but help me overcome my unbelief. Man, I totally get that. I totally get that because I am totally sold out to the Lord Jesus. I totally believe on him, Jim. I totally believe on him for my salvation. But for some reason, on other natural areas of my life, my faith struggles. Oh, my God, I want him to help me with my unbelief. How many will join me in that prayer this week? Lord, help me with my faith. Build it, Lord. Build it so I can believe you for the impossible. I feel you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're going to jump ahead now, one year, to Genesis chapter 21, verse 1. Now the Lord was gracious. Everybody say gracious. Hallelujah. He was gracious to Sarah, as he said. And the Lord, uh, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God promised him. Aren't you thankful that God is full of grace? And mercy, aren't you thankful that he doesn't react as we deserve and that he is gracious to us even at the times when we do lack the faith, that he comes through for us. And that's what he did. He was gracious to Sarah even though she laughed, even though she lacked faith. She did conceive and she did give birth to Isaac at the age of 90. Verse 3. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. A hundred years old. There's nobody in this room that is that old. I've said it before and I'll say it again. If there is still breath in your body, God is not finished with you yet. I don't care if you're a hundred or if you're 10, God has a purpose for your life and he will anoint you and use you to the very end. Now give him the hand clap of praise. Amen. Let's skip ahead one more time. And now, we're going to go to the most famous, one of the most famous portions of Scripture in the entire Word of God. Even if you're here, you're not a church person, you're new to this whole thing, you've probably heard this story. Genesis 22, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested. Everybody say tested. There it is again. Quit thinking that you're going to be exempt from this thing. Oh, God, if God tested Abraham, he's going to test us. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. What? After 25 years, we miraculously have this promised child, and now you want me to kill him, sacrifice? What? Now, in our eyes, there's just a lot wrong with this whole picture. Come on, let's be honest. We've, we've heard, now some of us, you know, we've heard this story so many times, we haven't really stopped to think about it. We haven't really stopped to think about Abraham living this thing out in real time. 
There's a lot wrong here. First of all, Abraham had two sons. Isaac and Ishmael. But Ishmael was gone. God had taken him out of the picture. He wasn't focusing on Ishmael. He was focusing on the promised son, Isaac. Secondly, critics often point to these verses as an argument against the morality of God. How could you serve a God who would make such a request as this? Well, those of us who love the Lord and worship God and study his word, we know that God never intended ever for Abraham to actually sacrifice his son, right? We know that. But here is the mind-boggling truth and the reality. Here is what sets Abraham apart from almost all of the other characters in the Old Testament. He didn't know. He did not know for sure the outcome of this thing. He did not have the benefit of Scripture. He didn't have a Bible. He didn't have anything written down. And you have to take yourself out of our time period and out of our culture and put yourself back there. There was child sacrifice taking place all in the nations around him. That was not an unusual thing like we would think. And so Abraham was still getting to know this Jehovah God. He didn't have a Bible. All he had were these experiences that he had with God. Now, he was believing for a different outcome. Somebody say amen. He was, you know, he was believing for and praying for and hoping for, but he ultimately did not know. We know that this was the ultimate test of Abraham's faith. And it was so significant that Paul the Apostle in the New Testament in Romans chapter 4 He talks about Abraham's faith. Are you hearing me? you got to hear this. Abraham's faith being credited to him as righteousness. Abraham's faith being credited to him as righteousness. Now, we know what credit means, don't we? It means putting the payment off to the future. Some of us know that way too well, and it gets us in trouble. But that's what credit means. It means putting the payment off until the f- you got to hear me. you got to get this. This is so powerful. Abraham got saved on credit because of what Jesus was going to do 2,000 years later. Abraham believed God and had such strong faith. He got saved on credit because of the promise ultimately was about Jesus Christ. And what he would do. I thought y'all would be a little, little more excited about that. What does that kind of faith look like played out in my life? What would that kind of faith look like played out in your family, in your life? Could we craft some kind of a statement that could possibly capture what we're talking about? I don't think so, but I tried. Here's what I came up with. Look at the screen. There are many people, places, and even things that we may love in our lifetime, but we can be driven by only one. 
Come on, we have many loves in our lifetime, many things that we love, many people that we love, but we can be driven by only one. I love Kathy and my girls and my family more than anything. I, I, I would die for them. I love you as my church family and as what God has called me to do, but I cannot be driven even by my love for my wife and family. I can't be driven by those things. I can only be driven by my love and my passion for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the only way. It's the only way. Pastor, is that really what this is saying? It is. Is it a reality completely in my life? Not yet. But I'm farther along than I was. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Hallelujah. This is what Paul, I'm so glad that, that, that Paul wrote these kind of things. This is what he's saying In Philippians 3.13, listen to this. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet, everybody say yet, yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I think it's time that some of you are delivered from your past. I think it's time that some of you are set free from past mistakes and problems and issues that have weighed you down and held you back from your purpose. I think the God of Abraham wants to do a work in your life and set you free this morning, but you've got to untie his hands and you've got to trust him. You've got to let your love for him guide you and drive you in Jesus' name. Well, bless the Lord. Come on. Hallelujah. It's possible. It's not some fairy tale out there. That kind of a life in God is possible. If it wasn't, he wouldn't have asked us. He wouldn't have put it there. Hallelujah. Uh, Question, big question of the day. What is driving you this morning? What is pushing you to live your life? Is it something from your past? Are you living your life based on a past mistake Maybe a divorce. Maybe a bankruptcy. Does money drive you? Does position or title, something that's just out of reach, keep your focus and your drive? Maybe it's your children. Maybe your children drive you and their activities or whatever it is. Does that, what is driving you. I know it sounds counterintuitive, but until our love and passion for God is what drives our life, we will never be completely free. All the other things, all those other things, some of those are not bad. Our children, come on, their activities, their taking care of our family, having a home, having a business, whatever, those are good things. But until those things are behind and God is ahead, we'll never be free. Look at the screen. Whatever we are living for will control us. Whatever we are living for, if it's our job, then our job will control us. If it's money, then money will control us. If it's our children, then they will control us. You can go to church 
until you are blue in the face. And I hope you continue to come, no matter what. But you can go to church all day and twice on Sunday, but until you allow God, listen to me, to do spiritual surgery on your heart, then this will keep you back and keep you down until you go to the next world. What or who is driving your life? Now, we know the end of this story with Abraham. I'm not even going to read all of that. We know the end. They get to the mountain. Abraham prepares the sacrifice. Isaac's like, um, okay, we got the wood. We got the fire. We got the altar. Where's the sacrifice? (laughs) Abraham takes Isaac, lays him on the wood, binds him, gets his knife. It's raised up, poised to strike him, and God says, stop. Don't lay a hand on him. He looks around, and there's a male sheep, a ram, caught in a thicket by its horns that God provides as a substitutionary sacrifice. Folks, this has Jesus written all over it. Hallelujah, from beginning to end. And so then, after all of that, God speaks to Abraham. Again, in verse 15, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, talking about the land of Israel. And through your offspring, somebody shout Jesus. That's what this is all about. Through Jesus, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed. Because, Abraham, you have obeyed all the nations on earth. Every man, listen to me, woman, boy, and girl who will ever live on the planet, whether they live in a a palace or on a dirt floor, will have the opportunity to receive this blessing of knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior. Obedience. Obedience is the only condition that God put on receiving the promise. The only condition. The big idea, the big idea for the series, obedience changes a future possibility into a present reality. Obedience changes something from just being some idea out there, some, some thing out there, into actually become a blessing in our life, whether it's in the future or right now. If we are obedient, we can actually begin to operate and move in those blessings that have yet to take place because God can work on credit. He saved Abraham on credit. How many want some credit with the Lord? We've got to be obedient. We've got to love the Lord. We've got to let him drive us. And this blessing becomes a reality, but it takes obedience, and obedience requires faith. Everybody say that with me. Obedience requires faith. Say it again. Obedience requires faith. Everybody look at me. I think God has told me that if we'll ask him for more faith, for a greater faith, that he'll give it to us. We can believe God more. We can obey him for what he asks us to do. And the blessings and the promises can come.
I was talking about my distractions from years ago. I'm almost done. All the building and the houses and all of that. Well, in 2008, the bottom fell out of the economy. I know a lot of you remember that. And I lost everything. Had to short sell the house that I would have been working on. Of course, that messes with your credit. How many, am I speaking the truth? A lot of you have lived through that as well. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with construction and building houses and anything. It just wasn't my calling. I got distracted with it. But it got taken away, messed our credit up. And we've been renting for the last decade, for 10 years. And I don't think it's any coincidence. I didn't plan this because I'm not smart enough to. But we're talking about the promise. And as I'm teaching in this series, I'm thinking about what God is doing in our family and the promise that he gave me 10 years ago. I haven't even told Kathy this. The promise that he gave me 10 years ago is we're losing all of that. He said, Alan, if you'll let my love for you and your love for me drive your life, and if you'll be obedient to the calling, I'll give you another house. And this past Thursday, we closed on a home. God is faithful. And he can redeem any situation if we will give it over to him, believe for him and in him, and have faith. And if we will be obedient to what he's called us to do. Last thing I'm going to say. Anything the enemy has stolen or taken from you this morning, your joy, your health, your marriage, your your finances, even your kids, whatever it is, he can redeem. He can redeem. It may not be in the way that you imagine or the way that you think, but in some way, somehow, he is the God of the impossible, and he will redeem it if you will give it over to him and be obedient to his voice.